Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so glad that uh, we've got this hour ahead of us still, one down, one to go. And there's a there's a passage in Isaiah, in chapter 9, verse 6. I cannot read this without hearing music in my head. As I sang in a boys' choir up through 8th grade, I was a soprano uh, through 8th grade. You know, I think girls go through puberty between like, I don't know, what, 10 and 13. For boys, it's usually like Tuesday at one thirty, and their voice changes like really quickly. I think so. It wasn't until I was, I think, at the end of eighth grade that I my voice changed. But I was a soprano till then. And then, so I would sing this song at Christmas time. And it's right out of Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And every time I read that passage... I hear music in my head, and it's the most glorious music. And I think I can hardly wait to get to heaven to hear the heavenly choirs belting that out. It's going to be unbelievable. So with that, I want to uh, introduce my guest for the hour, uh, Dr. John Woodward. He is uh, the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. And that's the very verse we're going to chat about today. John, welcome back. Good to be back with you, Bill, and great introduction. I have uh, inspiring memories of hearing Handel's Messiah years ago in a live concert. Just amazing. Yeah, and to think that, that Handel, when he wrote that, he was just kind of broke and uh, was sort of past his prime and no one paid attention to him anymore. And he was, uh, you know, looking for work and, and afraid of going into debtor's prison. And he uh, writes Handel's Messiah. <laughs> it's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Sure yeah. is. But this is the, obviously the time of year I read this passage, and um, there is quite nothing like uh, verses like this and Christmas music. Um, it's our most one of our most reliable time machines in life. We 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 can go back to earlier days. We can go back to uh, have flood of memories. I can go back to being in eighth grade singing this uh, at church. Well, you mentioned uh, the heavenly choir. Uh, Bill reminds me of uh, the amazing birth announcement of the Lord Jesus when the herald angels uh, chanted in Luke chapter 2, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Mm-hmm. So I want to just plow through this uh, verse, just word by word. Let's uh, let's talk about this today, because I, it's already December 10th, and let's face it, Christmas is two weeks away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the context, Bill, is a, really um, goes back to 700 B.C. or so when um, the uh, kingdom of Israel was facing major military challenges. The southern kingdom of Judah had uh, two hostile powers just to north of them and then the Assyrian kingdom. And yet uh, through that darkness, this light dawns as Isaiah 9 begins. And ultimately, that light is fulfilled in the ministry of the Lord Jesus when he begins proclaiming the kingdom of God in Galilee. And so this is a 
prophecy of the Messiah, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Seems that the first phrase, Bill, would talk about his humanity, a child is born, but also unto us a son is given. So we have his humanity as well as his divine nature. Mm-hmm. So that gives us a lot of information about uh, who who he is and what mm-hmm. the purpose is. I love that. To us, a son is given. Say more about that. And the word given implies also grace, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And so that's that's um, one of the main themes of Christmas is giving. Uh, as we give gifts to one another out of love, the ultimate gift, of course, is the gift of salvation in Jesus. The most quoted verse in the Bible, as you know, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, truly the ultimate Christmas gift. Mm -hmm. And, John, when we go to the next verse, and it says, and the government will be on his shoulders, would you talk us through that one? Well, this um, promise about the government being on his shoulder, that would be um, a figurative way of saying that he would have authority to rule that— He would not only have a spiritual kingdom, which is what the gospel describes now, but there would come a time when there also be this righteous rule on planet Earth where uh, there would be peace, not only in people's hearts, but also in relationships and even among nations. And so as we go through the passage, it mentions that concept, Bill, about government in the next verse of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. So this is a prophecy of the Messiah given in the Old Testament that was fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then we, we go on to and he will be called. And now here comes a whole bunch of amazing descriptors. And let's start with Wonderful Counselor, which is really, John, what you are. You're a Wonderful Counselor, so this might have been a part of it, an inspiration for you, huh? Well, we we get to be a twig on the true vine, Bill, and uh, he is the Wonderful Counselor. We tell those that we minister to and equip that that God is a Wonderful Counselor, and we're facilitators. And uh, it's a privilege to see how God uses uh, good news to bring peace uh, to our hearts and lives. And so we have here what seem to be um, a series of throne names. Uh, I realize sometimes in our punctuation in the Bible, wonderful is considered a separate word, but I think scholars would agree that it's probably wonderful counselor. And uh, so we have these um, four wonderful titles, wonderful counselor. He's a, a counselor that is able to impart uh, divine wisdom about the meaning of life, about how to um, have peace in our hearts, how to have um, righteousness flow in our in our communities and our in our nation, and so we certainly need biblical wisdom, which you and I have talked about before. And here it comes through God's word in Scripture and through the ultimate word, the Messiah Himself. Mm-hmm. So, the last three descriptors, mighty God. So what would that, well, as the prophet is saying, he's going to be called mighty God. We're talking about, a. let's back up to the beginning of the uh, the verse. We're talking about a child is being born. 
He'll be called Mighty God? Isn't that amazing? So <laughs> here we see is. that the Messiah would not only be a teacher who would be a wonderful counselor, but he would also have a unique status as God revealed uh, to humankind. And so in the Gospel of John, we have um, that theological introduction to the gospel where he says in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god and then in verse 14 which is a theological description of christmas the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory is the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth so in other words the messiah would not only be fully human but he also be divine he would be the revelation of god's nature to us mm-hmm then we get to Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. So let's talk about both of those. Well, Everlasting Father, when we think of fatherhood, we could um, think about how a father is a giver of life. A father should be a provider. A father should be a protector. And here in terms of the ultimate King of Kings and Lord of Lords, as Jesus is described in the book of Revelation, we see that he is the giver of life. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He is the provider. He is the good shepherd. And uh, we see he's also our, our protector. He's the one who will um, guide us and pass of righteousness for his namesake. So it, it, it strikes me, Bill, pretty amazing that that he not only is going to be a father figure, but everlasting father. It reminds us of Micah 5, verse 2 which is one of the other prophecies of the coming of the Messiah, which says that that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. You recall, Bill, that when the Magi came to Jerusalem, they said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? And that created quite a stir, didn't it? Mm -hmm. And so uh, the Bible scholars were consulted. They turned to Micah 5, what we would call Micah 5 too, and they would quote the prophecy. But in that verse, it says that the goings forth of the Messiah would be from of old, from the days of eternity, the Hebrew word there, olam, means that the Messiah wouldn't just begin at a point in time, but he would be an eternal being who would then uh, enter human history in uh, the person of Jesus. Another prophecy of Micah is Micah 7, rather Isaiah 7:14, which talks about the virgin birth of the Messiah. So he is the everlasting father, isn't he? Mm-hmm, he is for sure. All right, let me take a little break. Dr. John Woodward is my guest. We're uh, chatting about uh, this beautiful passage out of Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And John Woodward is the Director uh, of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. And because of the sacrifice Christ made on on the cross. He's given us a new identity. And I want to talk a little bit about that with John when we come back. All right, I'm glad glad to be back with Dr. John Woodward, Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. We've been chatting about Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And John, when we think of this child being born, this Jesus coming to, to earth to, to die for our sins and to be buried and to be raised from the dead. And it gives us a chance to know that we are 
of sinners in need of repentance, and his sacrifice covered that those sins on the cross. So we are, when we become born again and we're saved, we're new creations in, in Christ. So our identity is something we should always be reviewing based on what Scripture teaches. Because I would imagine, as a counselor, you're going to hear a lot of people who are going to be bringing problems into your counseling office because they have not focused on who they are in Christ. And that is uh, something that just came up in a conversation this week, Bill, with a counselee who has just been having his life transformed by God's grace and truth as he has brought the broken pieces of his life to God after a major crisis in his life. And God's doing a miracle in him and his marriage and in his future. And he said to me just this week that I think the core issue was an identity, um, whether I was living out of a false identity of someone rejected and trying to, to achieve unsuccessfully, even as someone in vocational Christian work. So just as we've been talking about Isaiah 9, 6, identifying the Messiah through what the scripture says, then we would also want to discover that as believers in Jesus, we need to use that same source, don't we, mm-hmm. to discover who we are, which is to go to what the scripture says about our, our new identity. Yeah, so when we realize in verse uh, 12 of the first chapter of John that, that really I am a child of God. I mean, I'm, I've been adopted into his family. Um, that be We have to understand that's part of our identity. When when John fifteen fifteen says, you know, we are the, we are Christ's friend, we need to start filling our minds and speaking those truths to ourselves. And our behavior, Bill, and our attitudes and actions are greatly affected by our identity. If we have an identity as someone who has no value and has no uh, favor with God, then that's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, on the other hand, when we know Christ and God's redemption personally by his grace, and as you said, when we receive Christ and we become his sons and daughters, then that is going to be a powerful motivation to be a vessel of God's love and grace to others. And you'll notice in the verse you refer to that our identity is, is linked to our birth. We're human beings because we're born to human parents. So when a person receives God's salvation and he, and she, he or she is spiritually reborn, then it's that spiritual birth which is the basis of their new identity. It's not just the power of positive thinking. It's the potential of spiritual discovery. Mm-hmm. John, when you think of the fact that we are a temple, we are a home of God. I mean, his spirit, his life dwells in us. How is that not something that we realize is so amazing and so wonderful that maybe not until we get to heaven are we going to realize what we had on earth and we didn't quite grasp it or understand it? Well, in Bible times, Bill, uh, the temple was such a prominent uh, aspect of worship uh, in terms of um, the Old Testament. There would be the temple in Jerusalem, and three times a year, adult Israelite men would, would be obligated to go to Jerusalem, if at all possible, for the three basic worship festivals. Ideally, their families would come, too. Um, but here we see in the New Testament, as you just mentioned, that those who know God through the gospel and have a spiritual rebirth, 1 Corinthians 6, um, 19 says that we are temples of God, which means that God's spirit lives in us. 
And so now there's no uh, physical temple in Jerusalem that was destroyed in AD 70. But we as believers become God's dwelling place. And that's a key theme in the New Testament, isn't it? That we mm-hmm. have that dignity and that responsibility. Yeah. When you think that you're a new creation in Christ, uh, how would you in- encourage people to take that biblical truth and and make it a place that, that just where, where it dwells deeply in their heart, that they they really take that and they say, this is who I am. I believe that that is a freedom step, Bill. And um, when Jesus describes the freedom process, he says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So in a freedom step, we need to renounce or disown or reject a false belief that we may have been holding on to. And then we pivot on um, a new awareness of truth and we declare what's true. For example, let's say someone like a a friend of mine was told by his parents, we wish you had never been born. So he would be living out of that, that false identity of someone who was unplanned, unwanted. So he would need to say, I renounce the lie that I was unplanned, unwanted. God planned me. God says that I have value because I'm created in, in God's image. And then declare the truth that, that God loves me, that if we're believers in Christ, as you said, we're a temple of God, we're a son or daughter of God. And by knowing what the New Testament says about who we are, there's something really special about um, seeing what God says, agreeing with him, which is a faith choice, and then confessing it out loud. And as we do so, Bill, it starts to sink in and starts to show up as well. Uh, John, when you think of understanding these biblical truths, maybe you're learning them because you're a new believer and you're starting to um, understand who you are in Christ. All right, so you've got some learning to do that it's going to be amazing and powerful and truthful that comes right from God's Word. Is there also some unlearning you have to do? Because, I mean, this comment about your friend that you were never planned and we never wanted you, I would imagine that's a pain they're going to have to manage their whole life to some degree. Well, certainly it's going to be an echo of the past, but the more we discover the significance of being in Christ, the more we uh, can become freed from those echoes of rejection. Ephesians 1, 3, I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, verse 6 says that we're accepted in the beloved one. So we can exchange that rejection that we may have experienced from our parents or others And sometimes that rejection is not as blatant as what I just referred to. It could be more subtle. Um, But we can exchange that rejection for acceptance in Christ. We might even say that we need to accept our acceptance. So, yes, there's some unlearning where we um, uh, let go of the wrong identity messages that have come through what other people have said. um, And then to latch on in faith to the wonderful liberating truth of our identity in Christ and the wonderful implications that that has. Mm -hmm. As new creations in Christ, John, I'm thinking of people that are going to be coming into your office for counseling. And there uh, are there times when you look and think there is really some spiritual opposition going on in their life. Um, I mean, you're, you are obviously when you are a believer, you've got uh, three enemies. Now the world, the flesh and the devil and when people come in and they're struggling with issues that they have for years, do you see spiritual, um, do you see evil attached to that? 
I would agree, Bill, that there's spiritual warfare going on. That's a better way of putting it. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about putting on the armor of God. It wouldn't give us that instruction if it weren't a real uh, problem and a real real need. So, yes, there certainly is a major conflict going on. um, But we believe it's best to really trace whatever uh, problem someone is dealing with. It could be fear, it could be anxiety, depression, even suicidal uh, thoughts, which um, are becoming so much uh, of a crisis in our society with uh, all we've gone through in 2020. But to trace that back to the question, what what is our source of life? Are we mm-hmm. living out of our own natural identity? Are we living in our own strength, even as a believer in Jesus? Or have we discovered a new perspective on discipleship that that the Spirit of God can be our source of living? Jesus said that he is the true vine and believers are the branches, which means we don't have to produce the fruit. We can bear the fruit through that abiding life. So we want to use the clinical opportunity to go from the symptoms back to the heart issues. Mm -hmm. John, you're like one of the calmest people I've ever talked to. I mean, you've got this incredible calming quality. So when you feel anger or madness or frustration, you take that right to the Lord? Um, the the true vine is our source of that calmness. And and as we've talked, Bill, about Isaiah 9, 6, he's the prince of peace. Right. So we need to exchange uh, our anxiety for his peace through prayer. It's not a been there, done that transaction. It's not a theological concept. It's an intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. So I'm just trying to... Uh, say when you feel these frustrations or angers or resentments at the end of the day, um, it's he is our Prince of Peace. He is our wonderful counselor. Uh, so w- we need to not delay in getting these cares and concerns to him in prayer. Is that what I'm hearing you say? And another way that it's been said in church history is to practice the presence of God especially if you see God as he really is, that he loves us, that he's provided grace, you know, for the challenges of life. And when we have that awareness that we're accepted in the beloved one, and that we have this new identity and that he lives in us, as you said, uh, that we're a temple, then we can practice his presence in a calming way that reassures us that we're never alone. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a little break. Dr. John Woodward is my guest. He's the director of counseling and therapy at Grace Fellowship International. I bet if I opened up the text line and if you had a question for uh, Dr. Woodward, I bet we'd be more than happy to take it. If you're in a situation where um, maybe you need uh, a counselor's ear, well, you have one right now. Let me know what the question might be. 877-933-2484. We'll be right back.
So glad to be back with Dr. John Woodward, Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. Uh, John, thank you so much for uh, being back on the program, and thank you for talking about Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 6, For unto us a child is born. When we get to the place where he's called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, it seems to be that there's um, a lack of peace. There's a lack of peace in relationships in our country. Um, so maybe we can talk a little bit about relational peace when people don't have it between the between people. Uh, Prince of Peace, what an amazing uh, title. Um, as verse 6 says, Bill, and you mentioned earlier about this is related to his governance and his rule as the Messiah. And in his first coming, Jesus um, promised an inner peace to those who would receive the gospel, peace with God, and then peace in their heart. Remember in John 14, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, said the Lord Jesus, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And so we believe that not only is there uh, a peace with God through redemption, there can be a peace in our heart like Jesus just promised. And then, Bill, there needs to be relational peace in terms of our families, in terms of our communities, and, and even uh, among the nations. You know, we just had... Um, the uh, anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. And my father-in-law, who lives next door, uh, had some documentaries on. We were looking at some of the footage from World War II. It just reminded me of how tragic um, World War I and World War II was. But uh, you recall that the United Nations building in New York City has a, um, a art collection in their complex, and the Soviet Union gave a... Uh, uh, a sculpture that has the phrase, let us beat swords into plowshares. And that's a quote from Isaiah 2, verse 4. Can I read that? Please. Um, he shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. In other words, they will be able to take their instruments of war and turn them into instruments of agriculture because uh Peace will be provided instead of warfare. And then it says, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. So the uh, the prospect at the U.N. art complex is an allusion to that biblical prophecy. But we know that it's just wishful thinking in terms of um, an imposed peace. But when God's love uh, changes people then it actually equips them to have relational peace uh, in their marriage, in their in their families, in their in their communities, and it can even flow into international treaties as well. Mm-hmm. John, talk about uh, selfishness as it relates to difficulty in relationships. Well, that really hits the nail on the head, Bill. Because <laughs> I'm afraid it does. <laughs> yeah, we we all are naturally egocentric. We we're not necessarily intentionally selfish but it's just our natural gravitational pull isn't it you know Mm -hmm. me myself and i tend to be our three favorite people so the the way to really cultivate peace in relationships um is uh learning how to have what the bible describes as agape love agape as you know is the greek word for unconditional love 
It's the word used in the famous First uh, Corinthians chapter 13, where it describes all these wonderful virtues. Uh, now abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So that means that we need to deny our self-orientation, take up the cross, which is a, a way of saying we want to put God first and identify with Jesus. And then we become a vessel of God's love that we received and then we pass on to others. So again, it's our relationship with God, uh, the love of God being poured into our hearts. And then instead of self inhibiting that flow, uh, we yield to God and then his love will flow through us. And what a difference that can make. Yeah. When you've been maybe in a, a stuck sort of pattern of, of communicating and I'm sure you get people that come in and say, maybe there is a couple or maybe they're individuals and they just say, we're in this pattern and we keep doing this dance and this always happens. Um, how do you, how do you break out of old routines and habits? We believe that we need to start at the heart level, Bill. Um, the Bible says, guard your heart with all diligence. From the heart flows the issues of life. So we don't really start with techniques like communication mm -hmm. or strategies like conflict resolution. We really go to the heart of the matter, which I guess you could say is a matter of the heart. And so as we, uh, first of all, come to know God personally through the gospel, receive God's gift of salvation, and then learn how to abide in Christ, or the Bible uses the term, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a way of saying, let the Holy Spirit uh, be in charge. Let him be um, your source of living. And so remember the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, self-control, those things. So when those virtues are flowing through a person's life, then that makes all the difference in terms of improving relationships, doesn't it? It makes all the difference. And boy, if you can do that kind of internal work and you can uh, uh, start to find who and know who you are in Christ, I think you're a transformed person. And then you're going to want to start engaging in different ways with relationships. But that's that's the really the hard work, isn't it? I'd rather just make someone else improve and fix themselves versus fix me. Well, that's one of our main goals as uh, a couple would come in. We mentioned that we we don't technically do marriage counseling. We mm -hmm. counsel people who are married um, because as people come to this spiritual renewal and shift from being self-oriented to abiding in God's love and become vessels of that love, then we see marriages um, restored and sometimes ones that are, humanly speaking, hopeless, God resurrects. Because it's not about just a Band-Aid solution. It's about a whole different approach uh, to spiritual life, which can make a, a wonderful difference in terms of marriage and other relationships. Mm -hmm. If you've been wounded in a relationship, John, and you think, well, I feel this bitterness and resentment as a result of this wound, um, that's going to require some forgiveness, right? Some confession, some humility, some I'm sorry for what I did. Some people that need is to one hear those the, words, right? That is one of the key strategies, Bill, in terms of reconciliation, restoration, is forgiveness. And again, if you look at it from a heart-oriented approach, it starts at the heart level where between you and God, you relinquish resentment, you relinquish bitterness to God. Ephesians 4.32 is the verse we like to start with, where it says, Be kind to one another, 
tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So we talk about relinquishing things to God. Secondly, move toward reconciling where where uh, we extend forgiveness or we ask for forgiveness. Usually there's both involved. And then ideally restoration uh, where practical love and healthy communication can take place. So forgiveness is such a um, vital ingredient uh, to restored relationships. Mm-hmm. I love that passage. If um 432, instead be kind and tender-hearted toward one another. How would you describe that quality, tender-heartedness? Well, I believe that it becomes uh, important to be sensitive to other people's um, feelings. And typically, we, uh, we're we more concerned about our own emotions. And in communication, um, we're thinking about how to defend ourselves and how to win an argument. And so we're <laughs> focused on our own our own agenda in winning the argument when really no one wins, if that's our attitude. But if, on the other hand, uh, we humble ourselves and again come back to that posture of letting Christ meet our needs from within, now it's not about keeping score, but it's about being a vessel of grace to the other person. So earlier in the passage, I think it's verse 29, it says, we are not to let any corrupt communication proceed from our mouth, but what is good to build up the other person which means instead of putting people down, calling names or whatever, we build them up. And as that happens, then the relationship will move toward reconciliation and restoration. And what a difference it makes when uh, grace is flowing rather than criticism. Mm-hmm. With with people that have issues with their, their marriage and their communication, and everything we've talked about so far has been so important about getting right with God. So do you find that that's going to require people to say, I need to start setting aside more personal time to be more engaged with the Lord? We believe that's that's the priority. Um, the Lord puts it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything you need will be added unto you. So that is a, a good um, reminder that we need to put God first. Of course, he's the supreme being, so that would be very logical, but here we're talking more about um, the wisdom of putting God first. Because, Bill, when we, for example, start the day uh, with an open Bible, an open heart, a prayerful attitude, then we're more likely to respond to things rather than just react to them. Mm-hmm. So, again, we go back to the, the, the importance of being alone with the Lord in His Word and letting the Holy Spirit speak to you and shape you into the the person that God wants you to be. And sometimes it's called spiritual formation. Mm, I like Isaiah, that. Say more about that. Another, um, that spiritual formation involves uh, um, the Holy Spirit, of course, knowing that Christ lives in our spirit, but letting him uh, mold our mind, our will, our emotions, our character uh, to be what God designed us to be. We have our own unique personalities our own spiritual gifts, our own uh, cultural distinctives and so forth. But we want to be a vessel of his love and joy and peace to others. Isaiah 26, 3 and 4 is a great spiritual formation verse. Uh, This is the promise. Uh, God will keep him or her in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. He's talking to God because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. 
It's Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. It's a promise of perfect peace, but it's a conditional promise, Bill. It's as we have our mind fixed on God and his love and his grace, then things settle down internally. And if we're at peace in our heart, then it's going to be much more likely that we'll have a peaceful influence in our relationships, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dr. John Woodward is my guest. We're going to take a short break. If you have a question about anything you've heard, or maybe you'd like some clarification on something you heard or you need it repeated, let me know what that is. We don't want to uh, go any further without you getting clarification. You can send me a question to 877-933-2484. Otherwise, we'll be right back. Dr. John Woodward, and he's the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace International. And uh, John, I'd like to talk about what, what what is God's desire for us? I know, would you say, what would be the two or three things God desires for us? Um, well, the Lord summarized it, Bill, in, in that we are to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. So that implies that we have a, what you might call a healthy sense of self-concern. Mm-hmm. Um, God has planted that in us that, that we are concerned about our life. That's fine. That's appropriate. And we believe that ironically is as we lose our life for Christ's sake, we find it. In other words, as we surrender to God and trust him, we discover that abundant life that Jesus promised. So it comes with, as you mentioned, uh, discovering our new identity in God and then realizing that God does love us in such an amazing way. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, 1 John 3, 1. So that's a, that, that love is received and then we reciprocate that by loving the Lord. And then, um, then that needs to flow out toward relationships that includes forgiveness, that includes overcome the Bible says, do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Imagine, Bill, the difference in terms of um, the flashpoints of riots and violence that our country has has encountered if people would respond to social injustice and other problems out of an attitude of, of love and, uh, and forgiveness and more like Martin Luther King, who approached um, uh, the civil rights movement from a Christian value system where Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. So again, discovering how our heart uh, can be filled individually, enjoying that vertical relationship with God, you might say, and then allowing that to flow through us so that we'll be part of the solution and not part of the problem when it comes to social and relational conflicts. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking uh, of... This beautiful image, and I know you've seen it a million times if you've not experienced it yourself, where the dad's in the pool and the, and the, and the son or daughter is standing at the edge of the pool and they're kind of shivering and they want to jump in, but they're like, <laughs> they're scared. Dad's not going to catch them. Um, mm-hmm. And I think of God's desire for me to say, I give you my assurance. I will not let you out of my hand. You can jump into my arms. 
And mm-hmm. I think of that God's desire he has for me to completely surrender. And so when we're, when we are understanding what our identity is in Christ, I, I just think that's maybe that's what you called spiritual formation. That's another good thing to mm-hmm. uh, talk about some more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that spiritual formation is another way of saying that we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. That's how the book of First Peter ends, grow. So living things grow, don't they, Bill? Yeah, they do. So if, if we're alive spiritually, God calls us to grow. And physically, we know that we grow you know, by the food that we eat, by exercise, by rest. The Lord Jesus, quoting the Old Testament, says that we don't live by bread only, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So once again, the importance of the Holy Scriptures, not just as an academic exercise, but as a devotional encounter with the Spirit of God who inspired them. And so, and then prayer is uh, voicing our thanksgiving and praise uh, to God and, and also to to listen, you know, as we are silent before God, often he'll give us impressions in our heart about he wants what he wants us to know. So the Bible says, be still and know that he is God. So there's listening. Um, and then also, uh, as we pass on his love to others in practical ways, um, the Lord says, if you've done it even to the least of these, you've done it to me. So this becomes not just kind of a, uh, discipline where we are withdrawn from relationships, but it actually motivates us to step out of our comfort zone and be peacemakers, to be those who um, make this world a better place through God's grace flowing through our lives. Mm-hmm. John, a listener said, um, many of us are angry because we don't have things go our way, right? Exactly. <laughs> so um, where do we get the idea that um, you know, if we have this anger, maybe it's as a result of expectations that weren't met. And then, then I have to wonder, how were we about forming our expectations? I mean, it's wonderful to have expectations and expect things from people, but don't we all disappoint? We do. And it's natural that um, when things don't go the way we would like, that we're going to be frustrated, uh, whether we're stuck in traffic or something else that is hindering our goals but rather than screwing a lid on our uh, anguish and anger, again, as heart-oriented um, disciples, we want to point people to, again, the heart of the matter. And God has a radical remedy for resolving anger in a healthy way, and it's actually surrendering. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I urge you, therefore, by God's mercy, to present yourself a living sacrifice holy, acceptable to God is your reasonable service. So as we relinquish to God control of our relationships and our rights, I know it's a radical thing, but it's also uh, remedial. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this, where he relinquished his rights, Philippians chapter 2 describes, and went to the cross and redeemed uh, God's people and and was raised and, and even is exalted. So at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess he is the Messiah. So we are not losing out when we surrender. We're actually resolving anger so that instead of being frustrated, yes, there's a natural emotional reaction. I'm not saying we don't have emotions, but rather than stewing in that frustration, uh, we can uh, look to the Lord for grace. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you mm-hmm. and my strength is made perfect 
in weakness. So back again to the spiritual formation. It's really the fruit of the Spirit that gives us long-suffering and self-control. John, is the emotion right before anger, frustration? Sometimes I I think that the people who are angry are just super frustrated. Yeah, it's like uh, a spring that's wound too tight, right? And so it, it doesn't take much to trigger that spring. So again, by allowing God to uh, show what's going on in our lives. And as we resolve those inner conflicts, whether, as we mentioned earlier in the program, forgiving or whether it's learning our new identity, then instead of having that tension, uh, peace uh, will flow more and more into our hearts. And then instead of road rage, <laughs> we'll be able to turn on afternoons with Bill Arnold as we drive along. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think that there's a, um, relationship and i see it between people who feel a lot of frustration and i think well how do we ask god to help deal with frustration because if you let that uh build up there the anger will explode at some point and i always say well let's let's try to cut cut it off before it gets worse because the frustration thing is i think it's all around us john especially with covid right now there's so many reasons to be frustrated that's right. But earlier we talked about uh, our tendency to be self-centered. And so when we're self-centered, then uh, the frustration gets put on steroids. Yeah. Um, but but when we, uh, again, are embracing the cross, abiding in Christ, experiencing contentment through our relationship with God, which is very practical, then even though frustrations will come, they won't uh, they won't sidetrack us. They won't throw us off balance. We'll be able to have um, a grace for the place, you might say. We'll have an equilibrium um, where we, again, become peacemakers. Mm-hmm. And let's let's finish where we started. And we started uh, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And again, this is just such a powerful, powerful uh, couple of uh, powerful verse. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, I really just pray today that those words right from the prophet Isaiah will just fill your heart. And if you're feeling uh, anger or frustration or you have relational turmoil and you need um, peace in that relationship, that this would be the place you would go and the, and the way that you would fill your heart. John, you say more because I'm I'm out of material now. <laughs> well, uh, that prophecy was fulfilled, Bill, um, when Jesus came. And also in chapter 11 of Isaiah, we have another prophecy, but this one has to do with uh, something that is yet future. And Isaiah 11 is a prediction about the Messiah, but it's not about his first coming, which had to do with his birth, which we celebrate at Christmas, mm-hmm. and his, his sinless life, his teaching, his miracles, his death, his resurrection. And, and the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, has many prophecies of those things. But here in Isaiah 11, it talks about when Christ comes a second time, he will uh, establish uh, universal peace. And it says, the wolf will lie down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. 
They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Bill, we don't believe that's just poetic symbolism. We believe that that's real prophecy, which will take place on planet earth. Yeah. Amen, John. Just incredible wisdom. Thank you so much for uh, talking about Isaiah 9 and and all the, the, the wonderful insights you shared. I, I know there's going to be a lot of people tonight, including myself, once again, reminded to know who we are in Christ, to make that our strength, and then we go out into the world in strength. So thank you so much. Well, may the Prince of Peace bless you all. Thank you for this opportunity, Bill. Amen. All right. Dr. John Woodward has been my guest. He is the Director of Counseling and Training at Grace Fellowship International. You can check out his website, gracefellowshipinternational.com. That's our show for the day. Thanks to the guys who showed up for Guy Talk and to Dr. John Woodward. It's been a wonderful day being with you. I hope you've enjoyed the afternoon. I'm already looking forward to our time together tomorrow. So uh, have a great night, everyone, and I'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.